blessed by that. So, hey, we're going to be in John 20. John 20 this morning. John chapter 20 here. And let's do the smart thing and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we come and set this day aside to honor and just praise who you are and for what this day means and what this day represents. It's a day of joy, a day of celebration. And Lord, we come here to just learn of you and what this means, that the tomb is empty. And we say thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen. What a buildup to today. It's always so much fun going through everything, getting ready for this. You know, one of the things that we've been trying to do as a church this week, we put it on Facebook, we announced it last Sunday, was reading through the different gospel accounts of what the last week of Christ's life was like. And you see all these different things that would happen. You have the Last Supper, Judas betraying him, Jesus washing feet, the trials, the prayer in the garden, the death. And we had a moment on Wednesday where we stopped our study in Exodus and really talked about what it means for Christ on the cross and what those seven sayings of Jesus from the cross mean and represent. And today we're going to stop and take a break from our study in Romans and really just look at what does it mean that the tomb is empty. Now, you kind of go through these phases. You know, the Last Supper is kind of a sad time. Jesus in the garden is a sad time. The death on the cross, obviously very sad. And as I was going through things with the boys this week, just asking them, what do these different things mean and represent? We were Saturday. So I said, guys, what happened Saturday? You know, we talked about what happened Friday. We talked about what happened Thursday. Wednesday, what happened Saturday? And I'm going to throw it out to you guys. Does anybody know what happened Saturday? It's a trick question. Nothing. You know why nothing happened Saturday? It was the Sabbath for them. And plus, they were in mourning. They were in weeping. See, all day yesterday, I kept thinking about today. Sunrise service, the fellowship time, the chance to come together and celebrate the Lord. I've had that hymn stuck in my head for the last, I don't know, whatever. You know, Christ the Lord is risen today. And I've just been singing that. It's a day of celebration for us. Rewind 2,000 years ago, it was not a day of celebration. Why did they come to the tomb early in the morning? Because they were so completely full of sadness. They came to be at the tomb and just weep. They were not coming to have a party to say, look, the tomb is empty. They came to the tomb because they expected the body to still be there. That's why the ladies brought with them the spices to anoint the body because they expected the body to be there. Now, here's the thing. I've been reading through the Gospels, and I don't know how many times in the Gospels Jesus told them, the Son of Man is going to go to Jerusalem, be crucified, die, and rise again. He kept telling them that. But yet, when you read the gospel accounts of the morning, of Easter morning, it uses terms like this. They were amazed. They were perplexed. They were astonished. They were confused. They were expecting to see a body in the tomb, and it wasn't there. They came with every expectation of a dead body, and they came and found an empty tomb. How many times did Jesus tell them, this is what's going to happen? But they didn't hear it. Now think about that. Doesn't that still apply to us today? I mean, the Lord has told us things. He told us, do not worry. But do we hear it? He told us, do not walk in fear. But do we hear it? He told us to love the unlovables. But do we hear it? We hear these things, but do we apply it to our lives? How often are we like the disciples where we have been told and told and told, but yet then when the Lord tries to move and do something, we're perplexed, we're confused, and we can't figure it out. And the Lord says, but I've been trying to tell you. Have you ever had that thing where you just keep forgetting? You just keep forgetting. I think it was last year. 
Our microwave died at our house. I've shared that with you before, how much I miss my microwave. And every time I talk about missing my microwave, one of you lovely saints come up to me after church and try to tell me about the dangers of microwaves and plastic. Everything tastes better in plastic in a microwave. I'm sorry, it just does. So we don't have a microwave. Now, people have offered to get us a microwave, and it's like, no, it's not that we can't get one. Dawn doesn't want to get a microwave. She, she doesn't want to do that. She doesn't like the microwaves. Okay, that's fine. Now, I love hot chocolate. I've showed, told you that before. I don't drink coffee. I love hot chocolate. But I only like hot chocolate with milk. I'm a milk hot chocolate guy. So our microwave dies. And I don't know how many times I went over, got the hot chocolate out, filled up my cup with milk, put the hot chocolate in, walked over to the corner where the microwave was, and guess what? There's no microwave. I would let out this caveman-like grunt, groan, and then life would go on. Okay, well, that's funny. It happens once. Starts happening twice. Starts happening three times. I just am so ingrained into getting my milk. And, and Dawn's like, well, just boil water and have hot chocolate. No, it has to be milk. So what happened was this. I kept doing this. So my wife took and wrote a note. And she wrote a note on, and I brought the note with me. And she wrote a note, and she put it on the hot chocolate. And the note says this, boil water first. <laughs> boil water first. Now, I know this. I heard this. I don't remember it. But this is where it gets good. Boil water first. But that's not all she wrote. Boil water first, idiot. <laughs> you don't believe me. Boil water first, idiot. Then... Boil water first, idiot. And then she had the audacity to write a smiley face. <laughs> Boil water first, idiot, smiley face. She had the audacity to write it on Harvest Fellowship stationery. <laughs> so, boil water first, idiot, smiley face on the stationery of the church that I pastor. Don't you think Jesus, Easter morning, wanted to say, Hey, idiots, I told you. In a loving way, obviously. Guys, I told you. I told you. I, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm going to rise again. Don't worry, guys. They heard it. They didn't apply it to their lives. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. Let's talk about this. John 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stones had been taken away from the tomb. Once again, remember, Mary is going in utter sadness. Because she just wants to be where her Savior is at. Then she ran and came to Simon, Peter, and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, which would be John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went to the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, John, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went again to their own homes. So verse 9, they knew it, they heard it, but they didn't put this all together. That's why other translations, excuse me, other gospel accounts use words like they were perplexed. They heard it, but they didn't put it together. Now, it's really kind of interesting, their reception to this. Verse 5, they saw the linen clothes. Verse 6, then Peter saw the linen clothes. Then verse 8, 
They saw and believed. Now, this is the problem with our English language. Depending on your translation, some of you may say seeth or something like that, but we have the three words there of saw. The problem is, in the Greek language, they're all a different word. Can you guys put that slide up real quick? I wanted to kind of just show you this, just to kind of let you understand what we're dealing with here. There's three different words. In our language, they all look the same, but in Greek, they're all different. The first one, verse 5, and stooping down, he looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there. Now, that comes from the Greek word, which means just to see. That's all it means. It's just you see something. Your eyes see it. Now, the next one, in verse 6, then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there. This is a different word. To survey, to discern, to be a spectator. This is where we get our English word theory. What this word carries is that Peter is thinking this through now. He's not just seeing it. He's thinking this through, trying to say, what is going on? The last time, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. This is from a Greek word which we would simply translate, I get it now. It all makes sense. You can see the progression. They just see, then they start thinking, and now they get it. Now, the point of it is this. All of you that are here this morning are in one of those three categories. Churches will be full today across America because of number one. They just see. This is what we do on Easter. We go to church. We talk about God. We see. Maybe this is the person that doesn't have a problem accepting the fact that there's a God. They believe in God. They believe in this concept of God and prayer and the Bible's a good book and church serves its purpose. But that's all. They're just seeing this idea of God. Now, there's another group. They're surveying. They're discerning. They're spectating. They're watching. They're theorizing. They're really thinking about this. They're analyzing what does it mean to be a Christian. But note, there's not a relationship there. I'm going to be honest. Those are difficult people to talk to. You know why? Because they have some knowledge. And dare I say, they think they're okay spiritually. How could I not be okay? I understand Christianity. I've studied it out. I'm a spectator of it. I've seen it. These are the people that may even show up on a regular basis, be faithful, and they may even find spots to serve. But there's not a relationship. There's just this watching who Jesus is. Finally, the last group. I get it. Note, Saul, Saul, look at the last one. He saw and believed. This is where it takes it to another level. This is where it takes it to the idea of what does it really mean to be a Christian. See, we throw these terms around a lot, and we've mentioned the last few Sundays how sometimes it makes people feel uncomfortable. This idea of being passionate about Jesus, a personal relationship with Christ, loving Christ and intimately knowing Him. See, we don't like those words. Those words make us feel a little uncomfortable. Passionate, intimate, personal relationship. We're really comfortable with number one. I see God. I like the term God bless you. I like saying I'll pray for you. The next one, a little deeper. Now we're starting to mark verses in our Bible. We're underlining things, maybe putting some scriptures up some places. This last one, though, that's on fire for the Lord. Now the question comes up, where are we this Easter morning? I would assume by all of you being here, you're at least at number one. And right now, some of you are quickly trying to underline a verse. See, I'm at number two. I tell you, though, I want to see and believe. I want to get it. Now, let's talk about this, though, because here's the problem. We hear it. We see it. We get it. Back to John, though. 
What did they do after they saw all these things? What did they do when they saw and believed? Well, they did something that most of us do. Look in John chapter 20. Look at verse 10. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. They were so touched by Jesus rising from the dead, they went home. Isn't that what we do? Lord, I am so moved by who you are. I'm going to go home now. That's what we do. See, we have these moments of like where it's just amazing. It all clicks. It all comes together. And that's what happened here with John and Peter. They saw. They believed. And then in that moment, it means everything to us. And then that moment passes. I see that a lot. I have people that I haven't talked to in a long time or haven't seen, maybe never met. They call me up out of the blue. Pastor, I need to talk to you. All right, that's good. I pull out my calendar. Let's see what days we have here. No, I need to talk to you now. Okay, let's talk right now on the phone. No, it has to be face-to-face. Okay, so we get a time set up. Maybe it's an hour or two or three. You know how often we get a time set up, and I'll get a text from them saying, oh, don't worry about it anymore. The moment passed. Or I'll meet with them. And my life needs to be different. My marriage needs to be different. I am so empty. I am so dry. This is not where I want to be. We have a moment of where it looks like we're going to move forward. And then guess what happens a week later, a few days later? Right back to where they were. The world chokes them out. We all have moments. But what happens is when you have a personal relationship with Christ, it's not based on a moment. It's based on realizing what he did. Because I have those moments where I was like, wow, Lord, this is amazing. Just a couple weeks ago, I was coming out here to church for something. And I was listening to this CD of music I had in my car. And for anybody that got saved in the 90s, there was a Christian band called The Waiting. And I loved some of their songs. And I was listening to one of their songs. And as I'm pulling into the church, I had to get going. And I'm listening to the song. I have it up loud. Uh, You know, you're praising, you're worshiping, you're just really touched by that song. It's amazing, just the words. So I come into church, do my stuff about four or five hours later, I get in my car. First thing I do when I turn on my car is what? The music's blaring. My first thought is, who turned up the radio this loud, you know? The moment passed. All of a sudden, the song didn't carry as much weight. All of a sudden, the words weren't as powerful. Four hours earlier, I could have stayed in that car and listened to that song, praised God. A few hours later, the moment's passed. How often does this happen in our relationship with Jesus? I hope that you hear a message. I hope that there's a time of prayer in the word or worship. You're touched by the Lord. But then life just continues. How do you get that? How do you stay there? Verse 11 of John 20. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet of where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Now, why didn't she know it was Jesus? We can speculate. We don't know for sure. Was she so full of tears? She couldn't see. Uh, Some people have said, did Jesus and his glorified body look different? Was he still carrying some of the scars? Or was there a supernatural kind of blindness going on here? Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Now, I mentioned at the earlier service, I envision Mary being like 5'1 and barely getting to 100 pounds. 
And here she is saying, I just want the body. Tell me where the body's at, and I will go grab that body. I will carry that body. I will take that body wherever it needs to go. She can't physically do that. She is so overwrought with emotion. Emotion. Remember, this is not tears of the tomb is empty. This is tears of where's the body. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say teacher. Jesus said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brother and say to him, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. When did it click for Mary? It clicked in verse 16 when Jesus said her name. When does it click for us? When does it go from just seeing to theorizing to seeing and believing, but note, see, believe, and then they went home and did nothing? When does it become real, like we really do something? It happens in verse 16 when you hear the voice of the Lord. And when I say hear the voice of the Lord, I don't mean the audible voice of the Lord. I'm saying you hear the Lord speak to you. He speaks to you words of life. He speaks to you through worship, through teaching, through the word, through service, through fellowship. It's when you hear him call your name that all of a sudden I realize I'm not just serving and worshiping some ambiguous God. I'm serving somebody personally who knows me. And when that happens, that's when it becomes a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. See, if I come to you and say, just out of the blue, hey, Fred needs you to go out and do this. First question, who's Fred? And why do I care? See, but if you know Jesus, all of a sudden, it carries weight for you. So when I come to you in counseling and I say, you know what? The Lord really wants you to spend more time with Him in His Word. The Lord really wants you to love your wife as Christ loves her. The Lord really wants you to respect and honor your husband. The Lord really wants you to be a witness. If you know the Lord, that carries weight. But if you kind of have this surface relationship with Him, you may not verbalize it, but in your subconscious, it's like, well, why do I care what the Lord wants? See, when you know Him personally... It changes everything you do. What made Mary, all of a sudden things be different when she heard his voice? When did Lazarus come out? When Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. That voice of God that speaks to our heart and knows us deeply and knows us personally. That's when it changes. What did the disciples do in verse 10 when they went home? Well, we find out, verse 19. Then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, stop right there, don't read ahead, don't, don't, some of you are still looking, they were assembled, why were they assembled? They were not assembled in prayer, they were not assembled in praise, they were not assembled in, can you believe he rose from the dead? They were assembled, verse 19, for fear, for fear of the Jews. See, it's funny, we, we elevate these guys to super saint status. Peter, John, James, Andrew. These guys walked with Jesus for three years. They wrote the New Testament. book of James tells me that Elijah, the prophet in the Old Testament, that could call fire down from heaven, that could cause a drought, that could raise the dead. book of James tells me that he has the same nature that I do. See, I hear that, but I don't believe that. I mean, they're the exact same? No, they're at another level. What are these super saints doing? Verse 19, hiding in a locked house out of fear. That's your early church fathers right there. See, now that I can relate to. Why for them? 
Why for them are they not moved and touched? They saw the empty tomb. They believed. They got it. Because it yet wasn't personal. When does it become personal? Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. When did it make a difference in their lives? When Jesus spoke to them. They heard his voice. And then what does he want them to do? Verse 21, I send you. Go do something. How often do we proclaim Jesus as being the most important thing in our lives, but we spend most of our time in a locked house? Jesus said, I send you. See, here's the thing. If you go with our first definition of Saul, then you see God, you see the church, you see Christianity. Hey, you like it. It doesn't really move you. The next one, you're thinking, you're chewing. But still, it's not personal. The third one, saw and believed. I hope this is where we're at today. But you can see and believe and still not be moved. Because you need to understand Jesus and understand him personally. You need to hear his voice. And how do you hear his voice? Spending time with him. Being with him. Praying in the word. And then all of a sudden you realize your day serves a purpose. How often have we mentioned this out here recently? That people feel dry in their walk with the Lord. They feel spiritually stagnant. They're not hearing the voice of the Lord. They're not being in communication with Him in prayer and in the Word and service. And so this life becomes this life of emptiness. The parable of the sower and the seed says you get choked out by life. All of a sudden, what's, I mean, what's this craziness for being for Christ? I mean, this is just life. Let's just live it. No, all of a sudden, life now serves a purpose when you know him and you know him personally. When you know him personally, you can't just sit there. And all of a sudden, it becomes a purpose in what I do. Every person I talk to is an opportunity. Lord, you just pray in your mind silently. Lord, is this a chance to show love to the unlovable? Lord, is this a chance to really tell something about Christ? Every time someone talks to me, it's like, Lord, do I get a chance to share the Bible with them? Can I pray for them? I mean, just everything all of a sudden takes on a freshness. It's not just living a life. It's not just going to work. It's not just mowing the yard. It's not just taking care of the house. It's like, Lord, I am yours. And since I'm yours, what do you want me to do? Because I've heard your voice. I've met you personally. And I want now to go out and be a witness for you and all that I say and do. Like I said earlier, churches across this country today will be full of the first group of people. They're okay with Christianity. There'll be a lot of people that's in the second level. But I tell you, we want everything that the Lord has in store for us. We never want to be the church that just sits there. We never want to be the church that just takes for granted the grace of Jesus. We want to go. We want to send. I've mentioned to you before that we've been praying about that vision for this year, that idea of knowing who God is, growing in that relationship with Jesus, and then sending. Let's go do something. Know, grow, and send. And what did Jesus say to the disciples here in John chapter 20, verse 21? I also send you. Ah, Lord, send us. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 1. James 1. See, once again, we can hear this message. We can have a moment. But we're not looking for a moment. We're looking for a relationship. James 1. 
Let's go ahead and start in verse 21. James 1, verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. How many times have we done that? I'm not even going to preach you about that. I'm just going to talk about me. I'll be sitting out here and I'll be listening to a message and I'll hear a point. And like that point is deep. That point cuts. I mean, the Bible says that it's a sword. It's a knife that cuts right to your heart. And it impacts me and I I want things to be different. And it's amazing. I get home. I'm going to tell Dawn. What was that point again? How, How often do we do that? Or I'll be reading in the morning. It's like that verse is exactly what I needed to hear, Lord. Thank you. Five o'clock in the afternoon. Well, what was that verse again? I run into that with my boys. We do devotions in the morning together. And just this week I asked them, I said, remember what we read this morning? I couldn't remember what we read this morning. They couldn't. How often are we a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word? Now be careful. Don't turn doing the word into some action to receive salvation. Lord, look at me. I'm reading. I'm praying. I'm witnessing. I'm serving. So obviously I'm good. No. This is the natural reaction to knowing who Jesus is personally. And when you personally know Christ, now I want to not only hear, but I want to do. Verse 25, He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one, this one, will be blessed in what he does. Oh, man. Remember what the word blessed means. Happy. See, when we hear blessing, we start thinking of, what do I get? No. What this is basically telling you is, if you're not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed, this one will be happy, this one will be joyful in what he does. If I run into someone who does not have much joy in life, does not have much happiness in life, one of the things I like to ask them, are you a doer of the word? Because when you're a doer of the word, you're blessed. Because all of a sudden now you have a purpose in what you're doing and why you're doing it. So I guess what I want to say is this. Looking back to Peter and John, it's easy to pick on them. They run to the empty tomb, and it impacts them so much they go home and lock themselves in a room out of fear. Yeah, but kind of don't we do the same? Lord, you are so amazing. You're the most important person in my life, and the way I will show that is by living my life just like everybody else does. I hope this impacts you to say I want things to be different. I want to be a doer, not just a hearer. I don't want to see and believe. I want to see and believe and personally be touched by who Jesus is. I want that voice to speak to me and impact what I do. That's what I want. And that's what we want for you today, too. That's why we're going to finish here with communion. Because communion is a wonderful time to stop and say, Lord, I want to get back on the right path.